0: Welcome to the Men Are The Prize podcast. This is a safe space for men, just like you, to be open, vulnerable, and emotional. Every week, a new case study steps out of his comfort zone to discuss masculinity. Using the prize mantra, we discuss important aspects of being a man. This is the who, what, where, when, and how of manhood.
1: men are the prize the podcast it's Harvey your host how are you i hope life is treating you well i hope 2023 is treating you well as i record this we're early in the year so you know we're just just getting into 2023 and i hope it came i hope you came out you came out swinging and i hope everything is doing well for you um this podcast if you're hopefully You've been listening or watching for a while. This is a space for men to be open. This is an emotional safe space. And we can talk about anything as men. Our happiness, our sadness, our depression, whatever we're going through, how we came out of it, how we're still trying to get out of our troubles. And inevitably, if we're going to talk about emotion, we have to get to the some of the sad stuff, some of the things that can really take us down. So this week... We're going to talk about grief and we're going to talk with somebody who helps men deal with their grief, which is somebody I respect to go into it, to spend time talking to men about something that's probably even hard to talk about yourself. So my guest this week is Tony Lynch. How are you? This How you doing today, sir? I am doing awesome, brother. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm glad that you are here. Real quick we get right to the point the bio tony lynch is the founder of the nonprofit memories of us grief support for men where they are dedicated to meeting men where they are in their grief journey yes. that's it not much more needs to be said so the first thing i'm going to ask and i've been asking this lately because i like a good bio i like mm. i like reading back to people what they're known for or what they do or how they describe themselves to other people. When you hear your bio read back to you, what what feeling resonates? What do you think of? What do you feel when you hear that about you?
2: A sense of honor because
1: it's me, right, you know?
2: Um, and what I wish someone would have did, did for me when I experienced my grief, you know? in the beginning stages and throughout so yeah when I hear that, it makes me it makes me smile because that's exactly what we do we're dedicated to meeting men where they are and wherever they are in their grief journey
1: that's excellent and we'll talk about that because I think what you just said the I think people don't understand that grief is a journey mm-hmm. I think people just think I just feel bad and that's it. And that there aren't levels to it, that there aren't stages to it, that you don't start here and get here. <laughs> Excuse me, that there's not a process to it. So I hope you can. In fact, if you wouldn't mind, can you give us a little bit of expertise? Tell me about grief, the things that people probably wouldn't expect or even understand about it. What can you tell us about the attitude?
2: It's the way it look and the differences between men and women. So okay. since women are have a lot more estrogen than men they become more emotional so that's one fact and then on the other side you have a men who who produce more testosterone that's a huge factor so the way that we experience grief since we are since we are prone to the masculine energy we become more um aggressive in in certain ways so say for instance um the the strongest thing that i've seen between the men was the way that we reacted to the loss we either dove into work, or we be, or we became isolated. We didn't know how to talk to anyone. In a lot of ways, we became very irritable. We began making very bad decisions, right? That led to, you know, um, in my case, homelessness. Those bad decisions led me there, uh, and then the depression set in because I didn't understand that. It became a battle between um, myself, right. And I became aggressive in that nature because I wanted to fix it, but there's no way to fix it. So if I can't fix it, I'm going to break it, which in turn led to my planning my suicide. So, and that's what, that's why I try to explain to women, what you're seeing is a man going through something hard right now. This is, you have to, you have to see the patterns and understand you have to add in all of these different things as well. How do you perceive this person? Because that person is looking at you with the same perception. So as men, we we're not taught to um express ourselves, we're taught to suppress. And so yeah, it's a strong similarity across the board, but having men actually get outside of their head and look at that, you know, and then then saying, Oh wow, I never realized I didn't I didn't understand that. That's what we mean. Going back and understanding and standing there with them.
1: Okay. All right. So if you have watched or listened to this podcast, you know what it's called. It's called men are the prize. Mm-hmm. I take the word prize and four of those letters represent uh, characteristics that I think are good for men. I think for this, I'm going to tweak it a little bit and I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to still use the same words, but more in relation to how you deal with men in these in this situation. So the first letter in the word prize is P. In the word is purpose. Purpose is defined as reason for which something is done or created, or which something exists. So, when you get a man who is dealing with grief, mm-hmm. what is your purpose for him?
2: Two purposes. Um, when I when I when a man comes into or invites me into their space, my purpose in that moment is, is to become the best visitor. In that space with that man. And what I mean by that, I don't want to add any extra burden to them because, for one, they've invited me in and I've always wanted to honor that. And secondly, you know, they invited me in to speak. So I have no place in there. So my job is to be the best visitor. And that's what we call holding space with that individual. I have to be the best visitor I possibly can. So instead of you getting up and trying to get me water, trying to comfort me, my job is to be there to comfort you so you don't have to think outside of what you're going through, right? And so therefore, when men are sitting around each other and that that element is taken away, the man can then focus on what he's feeling because there's a sense of this man is here for me, right? I don't have to do anything so yeah
1: okay okay um so let's just say you've been invited to a, a man's home I would imagine it's not the same situation for every man I guess maybe is it you come to one home and our men it's a better question how accepting are men even though they invited you in this is an incredibly emotional moment it's profound they're going through all mm-hmm. kinds of things <laughs> excuse me what's it like to go into a home, go into a space for a man who's going through something who might still be kind of resistant to the idea of somebody being there with him. What do you have tactics? Is anything specific that you do to allow or to help this man be more comfortable with you? What do you do to make that guy feel better about you being there? Well,
2: when we when you show up to a person's place, you know, it's a matter of respect. So I always come in and I respect that individual but I'm also observing to see what they're doing. I'm checking out their environment to see if they've been drinking or anything like that. So those things do come into play, you know? Um, so it helps my approach um, to be more open-minded. So the first thing I do is come in, introduce myself. They sort of look at me because we as men, it's a vulnerable space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so very reluctant, even though you are invited me in, doesn't mean anything. It's just right. got the first step out the way,
1: that's it. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And I come in and say, Hey, how you, do-, you know, how are you doing? Oftentimes they'll come back and say, Oh, I'm okay. How are you doing? I changed my approach. I'm, I'm a little bit It's hard, but it's soft. How are you doing? And then when you say that to a man in a space like that, they can look you in your eyes and go, okay, this man really wants to know how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So they feel they, they begin to open up. They begin to feel comfortable. And then after that, hey, have a seat, you know? And then from there, I eliminate all the rest of the um, um, distractions that you may have. So their family may be asleep or, you know, they may just be sitting in the house by themselves. Sometimes, you know, it's a fishing spot. Sometimes it's a spot where they go camping at, you know? So I it's always the environment that they feel comfortable in. You never okay. want to ask anyone to come outside of their comfort zone especially sure. in situations like that because it 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 can cause triggers and things like that so always that's the first thing make sure that person that you're going to sit with is in a comfortable zone because that's going to allow um the conversation okay
1: now you mentioned at the beginning that you kind of are what you needed when you were going through your emotional stage and right, yes. So if you can kind of think back as much as you're willing to, how do you think you would have responded to somebody coming to you the way you come to men now? How what would that first first connection would have been if somebody came through and was like, How you doing, Toby?
2: It have been it it would have been received, but in the same sense, you know, you got to remember. When you're going through those emotions as men, you, you the first time someone approaches you is to become defensive until you state your purpose. Why are you here? What do you want, right? You know, because I don't know what your intentions are towards me. And that's the way that um, I would have received it. But now looking looking back at it, I do those things and it would have been well received, right? Even though if that person would have been patient with me to get past you know, um, the facade of the masculine energy. You know, um, if that person would have stayed with me as I walked through that, the conversation would have. happened. Because now we're in a space where I can relate to you, right? Every man, most human beings on this place, when you're going through something, you want to be surrounded by people that understand what you're going through. So, and that's the, that's a huge thing. You know, because when I lost my son, um, being a single, single black male and going to church and all of these things, you know, uh, when I lost my son, my first instinct was, what are people going to think about me? Right. But then there was a side of me, the fighter side of me that told life, no, you're not going to break me. You're not going to do this to me. I'm, I'm going to show you how strong I am. So it became a show of, you know, um, see, I told you, You know, um, you can't, no matter what you do to me, that's, that's that mentality. And in the same sense, you go to connect to these places because you're looking for someone to connect with you. You're looking for someone to see you and what you're going through. So yes, I would have received it if the, if the right people would have came along, but the problem was not all the, all the people that came along was the right people, which Mm -hmm. in turn turned me into the, the hermit. I isolated myself because I refused to be counseled, you know, uh, especially if you don't know if you don't have the experience. So that's a huge thing.
1: I would imagine that a I don't know about a skill or just something you would have to master or become very good at is being patient when you're talking to a lot of men. Talk about that. How is that? I mean, is that something you had going into it? Is that something you built? Is that something that came about with dealing with more and more men? How is patience an important part of what you do?
2: Um, the huge part was having patience with myself, and then from there, I it grew. You know, because I can, you can't, you can't speak something and not not understand it, right? So that was the first thing. Once I realized where I was mentally was having patience with myself as I go through this process, I didn't want to rush anything. And so it life slowed down for me and I began to connect all of these different things. And I went, wow, there's something to this, right? So, and that began my approach or it helped me start to develop that approach when I had other men or being invited to their spaces as well. Because being a man myself, you know, um, it's hard to have patience with yourself. You want everything like that. You want everything to be okay, just like that, within a matter of days or weeks or months. You don't want to think about the first year, right? Because you're already anticipating the pain. So once you start anticipating the pain, you begin to no, I, I don't want to go that route because that's going to suck. So if I can do it now, I don't have to deal with that later. Having patience with the process of beginning of your starting to heal. So patience is huge. Patience with other people is huge. Can you imagine going into a room and someone has a stack of papers right here? But this is, this is the process that they want you to go through. You don't know what's in there, right? And it's all directives, you know, maybe very few, few little tools because they're trying to push you in and out and people, when you come, when you, when you're, when you're rushed like that, you come out the other side, you sometimes it backfires on you. It can backfire on you because even though you have this knowledge, it's useless because it went by so fast. So as you're going through the process, having patience with the journey, allowing yourself to feel and being being vulnerable enough to express yourself, not to hold it in. Because if you rush that, nine times out of ten, it's going to come back on you. It manifests itself in a different way. And it's just a reminder that, hey, you skipped something. So just like anything you do in life, there's steps. There's there's definite steps.
1: Okay. Okay. I applaud you for this, for doing this, for making this, I guess, your life's work, because it I th- it it clearly requires, I, I, I don't know how to say it, a certain level, not even confidence, of, of, of recognition of what you're stepping into every time you walk into a man's room, into a man's heart, into a man's struggle, to just go in there and you're talking to a man and you're about to hear something that's probably not happy. It's, I'm sure it isn't. That's a question. So you're going to a lot of men, and obviously there's a specific reason you're going to see these men. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Are you able to separate yourself from their situation? Yes. Because so, And and explain how you do that because you pretty much know what you're getting into with every man. Something happened, and he's here. And to a degree, you need to hear him. You want him to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So you're getting it back. So how do you go, hear that, take it in, and then maintain your sanity as you go about life? Well, after the
2: call and I'm on my way to the place, I ask to be emptied out because you can't fill in a, a full cup, right? So I want to be empty so I can receive what they're giving to me. My, job, my goal at that moment is to take that away from them and take it away so they don't have to deal with it. They can go to sleep that night. So I detach myself emotionally because I'm reminded it's not about me. They're, they're not calling for my story they're calling because I'm offering support in that area so as soon as it, the biggest mistake most um, some practitioners make in the beginning is that we are quick to say ah. and i and i've realized that that word right there can push the app to push a, a man away because now you just invalidated you've made this about you not about them about you and so then it becomes a a place where you're starting to um, trade war stories with each other. Well, I've done this and I've done that. So I'm always reminded that it's not about me. It's not about me. You know, and so that keeps me, that keeps me from um, directing conversations or giving bad advice or bad suggestions because then it becomes more personal on that end. And I've never wanted to take that, take that away from another individual. This is not
1: about me. That's a skill right there. I I will say that. And I would say that to anybody, psychologists, psychiatrists who inevitably, when you talk to somebody and have profound conversations, you're gonna hear deep, deep things. Sometimes deep, dark secrets. Sometimes things that are not really palatable, but to be able to hear it, to take it in, to advise, to help, but then when you're done to be able to let it go, Mm -hmm. that's to me, that is, I don't know if that's something that I'd be able to do, but to anybody who does it now, I applaud you. So, and it's obviously something that's really necessary, especially for us men, because it's like you said, we're not, there's no class on being a man and being emotional. Mm -hmm. It's not expected, it's not regular. It's almost abnormal. So forget grief just like on a regular Tuesday I'm not emotional right. so to then put me in a situation where I'm just kind of sitting in my emotion
0: mm-hmm.
1: in there and I'm fighting it I'm I'm just I can imagine I'm just in the river and the waves are crashing and if yes. I were to calm down I'd be in a better space but I'm fighting it because I don't want to talk about it I don't know you I don't want to say this whatever it not, it feels like it's this physical battle but an internal one too mm-hmm. so I applaud what you do. I want to get to maybe how, a little bit more into how you got here. The next letter in the word prizes are the word is resilience. You kind of mentioned your son and how you lost him. Resilience is defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and toughness. Can you talk about how the things that happened, the loss of your son, homelessness, how these things hit you, how you able to come get past them to end up helping people who are in a situation that you know all too well? How did you get there?
2: It was a long road. It was hard, and most definitely. Um, because you have to take in those elements of being homeless, um, just losing everything, lost my family, my son, my mom, father, son, my younger brother, all of these different things played a factor into who I am now. But my son, opened up the door when he passed away, because that is hard. That is by far the worst thing that I, that a parent can ever go through. Uh, but there's no rules that say that we're exempt from it. So that was the first thing. Once I, once I began on that journey was understanding that. So I couldn't take life personal. I couldn't take it personal, but now with that being said, there was a side of me the combative side of me that wanted to fight life back. Like, I'm, I'll am i show you, I'll show you. No matter what you throw, no, I'll show you. Why would you do this to me? So I became that combative side, that that side right there. So, you know, it's it's a consistent battle. Eventually, I began to understand. I began to understand as I went through the process, as, you know, um, as I tell people, It was more of being in a dark well, right? And I'm down on the bottom and I can see the light at the top. And I I love using this analogy because it it breaks it down. So as I'm down there, as a man, there's no way out. The walls are smooth, I, I, I can't climb out. And so I am asking for someone to come and rescue me, right? But I don't know who. So eventually, over a period of time of being depressed and and going through life, um, pretty much in the days, I was searching. I was, you know, that's how those bad decisions came because I'm looking for someone to to save me, right? So, coming back from there, asking the right questions: What is this? Why do I feel this way? Because no one's ever taught me about the emotional side of it. Why do I feel this way? And then eventually it was like someone kept kicking dirt over top of me and I was ready to go in the same sense. So the more the dirt came down, you know, the wanted to stand there and just let them bury me alive. And then it was like someone dropped the rope down. And every time I went to go grab the rope, I had to jump out of the dirt, but all of these lessons came along with it and it became a platform. Somebody kept moving the rope up even more. So... Once I got to the top, it made sense to me. It definitely made sense to me. I had to go through these things in order to help the next person. And it was the sense of, I want, I have no one, so those who have gone before me, I want to make them proud of me if they're looking down over top of me and understand that I come in with a forgiveful heart. And the only thing I ask is for the same in return to those who have gone because we've all come from somewhere right and it's a battle and as men that's what we do we have to be battle tested now I understand that first I thought life was had a grudge on me (laughs) you know I was like what did I do to you you know but then I have to realize you know um everything that I've ever experienced was never about me it was the experience and learning to grow through it and understand it and being able to articulate it to the next person in a, in a sense of compassion. And that's what kept me going was the simple fact of I knew what I was supposed to do. Right. So it was the mixture of the physical battle, the mental battle, the emotional battle, and the spiritual battle for me. You know, on one sense, you know. I want to go back to what I know, which is the valid side of me. Well, that's not beneficial right now because who am I going to find? The emotional side of me was surrendering to it and allowing myself to cry, allowing myself to sit with my grief and things like that. The physical side of it, well, I have to be better in order to, um, in order to fulfill this thing that I'm called to do. You know, and then the mental side of it, Well, I have to understand where's this depression coming from? Where's this anxiety coming from? Where are all of these things coming from? So I had to start the healing process in that, in those general areas. And it was just the, it was the stepping stones to who, who I've become in this, in this field now.
1: You said something before that, that, that hit me. And you said that you can't take life personal. And that that's really interesting. I, I heard that. And I'm like, because you I mean, if because we're men, a lot of our words are aggressive. It's this battle. I'm fighting all these things. But then you can't take like personal because to a degree, you have to be like, and you said it, like, why did you do this to me? Why would you take my child from me? Why would you take a parent from me? that sounds like the really and most important thing, at least for me, I think it would be, mm-hmm. to be like, I have to recognize that this wasn't done to me. right? Like it happened, but it wasn't like there's some deity or some person who's like, listen, I'm going to have this happen. This, I'm doing a hard personally. Right. And I feel like that's got to be a good part of it. If you sit there and recognize that this happens to everybody, and that everybody is gonna feel some loss, Mm -hmm. is gonna have this struggle, that must be a good part of it, It, it's not you. Because eventually, it's gonna be all of us. Right. So, to me, that's a big thing, can't take life personal. You gotta understand, this is going, it's terrible for everyone, but it's not just you. That's, I I don't know, that just, I just felt that, that that, that hit me there. how long did it take you to not take life personal? Can you, in terms of, for you, when did you finally, was it in terms of you talking about the well, do you remember, is there a moment for you where you were like, you know what? I know this hurt, this was terrible, but this was not. And you said it, it's not really about me. And it's it's good to say it now, but how long did you take before you were really like, you know what, this didn't happen to Tony. Where? How long did that take for you?
2: You know, when you're going through it, it feels like a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, let's see, probably in the course of maybe three years. And you know, um because there was a lot of things that people said to me that I did take personal. You know, people were comparing their loss of a, of an animal, their pet, to the loss of my child. Oh God! Right? You know, but it's not personal. Right. And and what I mean by that, you know, in the beginning, when it first, how are you going to compare that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. To me and people were saying some crazy, well, what I thought in my mind was crazy stuff. Right. (laughs) But then there was a side that said, open up your eyes and listen. Meaning stop talking, look at the person in front of you and listen to what they're saying. It's not personal. So I wanted to understand that. And I said, well, how is it not personal? Well, they're trying to relate to you the best way that they know how. So instead of taking it personal, how about you have a little bit of understanding? If they're, not mean, they're not doing it to be uh, malicious towards you. They're doing it because this is the only way they know how to relate look around you. How many people, how many men do you know that are standing here right now that have lost their child? Not very many, right? So it's not personal. And so within a matter of those three, the first three years after my son passed away, and it was, and then when I got hit with my mother uh, shortly after, you know, shortly after my son, it was a combination of all of those things. The the previous lessons that I was taught when I was a kid that came back, and wanting to um, wanting to understand. So I didn't take this life personal. Then I then I began to read, and then I realized that this what I've gone through has been going on since the beginning of time. It's not personal. It's just part of life. Unfortunately, these bad things do happen, but what are you going to do in those moments when those bad things happen? If you take it personally, you'll have a reaction. If you begin to accept life on the level that it is, it becomes beautiful and you begin to respond. So I never wanted to react to anyone. I always wanted to be able to respond and and go, thank you
1: it's good i mean i as i hear you talking about it and i and my response was i was like the same response when you first heard it if i lost my child and somebody's like oh my god oh a few years ago i lost my my dog fluffy I, i'm like what what are you talking about i know that would be my response i know that and i and that was visceral when you said it to me but what i after hearing you and kind of just letting that roll around what I find is that it seems like you almost, you pick up another emotion. You you have to show empathy for somebody because they're trying to relate. And to be fair, even though I'm not an animal person, I'm not a big pet person, anything like that. But to somebody, we don't know how that affected them. Right. And that's the thing, somebody lost that dog. I don't know how long that person had that pet. I don't right. know what that pet meant to that person. Grief or loss. Is different for everybody Mm -hmm. so and in that moment when it happened what happened to you was like the worst thing that could happen in the world so like I don't want to hear you tell me about yours because mine is the worst thing right Right. so like so I don't want to hear about you you had a dog whatever my that's I brought this child into this world these are not the same it I think it requires so much it's all—it's somewhat of a learning experience because I'm gonna sit here and I'm be, it, I'm all in my feelings and I've lost whatever, and somebody says something to me and I have to recognize that that person went through something just like I did. Mm-hmm. And it may not be their child, but it is somebody that was important to them too. Gotcha. So to be able to grieve, but to be empathetic by somebody else's grief, thats that's an important skill. I, that's interesting. I got to say, through hearing all this, so much is rattling around in my head. And the one thing that comes to me before I continue is that inevitably somebody is going to have this same feeling about me eventually. Yes. Because that's what it is. Because it's life. I, when I lose somebody, somebody's eventually going to lose me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And if you think about it that way, you I don't, then i'm like i don't know how it feel because now i'd be like oh my god i can't imagine because this is a bit of a stretch but with we've had obviously suicide happens a lot, especially with us men and there's a lot of people who say that suicide is a selfish act right because we are throwing grief upon people
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I don't know. I don't know. I'm just talking this out, but I just, I just find it interesting that I feel grief, but somebody's, it begats grief, grief begats it. Cause it's going to happen. Somebody died. I'm going to die. And that person is going to die. And how we handle it is a major part of how we just stay sane.
2: Exactly. But it takes so, a while.
1: Oh, sure. It does. It and for everything. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It takes time. It's time to understand to get out of your masculine way uh, and, and to be open And understanding that you are a human being, you know, um, I've talked to a lot of people in in the church and a lot of men in the church. And I have to ask them because they still, you know, they still want to be men as well. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. I asked them, I said, well, what makes you different from Jesus? If I'm not mistaken, Jesus wept too. He grieved. What makes you any different from God? So it's a humbling experience because Mm -hmm. it forces them to go. I'm not better. I am, you know, I am I am a servant, I am his child. So if he can do it, and that's where it comes in. If he can do it, I know I can do it. So it, it begins to creep open that door and they begin to peek their head in and that's when they can step into their new masculine self. Equipped with all the things that they've been neglected their whole entire lives. And there's birth a new man. Birth a
1: new man. That is interesting. that's interesting. You lose somebody, but then you gain a new self. Yes,
2: you gain a new identity because the world no longer looks the way the way it did before. Okay. Because in the beginning, you have hopes and dreams. You have you know um, ideas and and a vision for this person that you would, whether it be a spouse or child or parent, and because they have the same things for us, right? And so once that's stripped away, it's as if the world lied to you. Mm-hmm. Think about this, It's as if the world lied to you. You said that I was, no, the world didn't say that. This life didn't say that to you. You built that into your head. Um, and now that is not there, you're disappointed. Mm-hmm. You're disappointed because you're going, I thought you made it personal. It wasn't supposed to be this way. You've made it personal. Who are you blaming? Mm. This life isn't personal. You can't take this life personal. So true.
1: You spend time fighting people. Yeah. What's interesting is that you're disappointed, but it's not... I mean, we don't think about it. But we know it's going to happen. It is... Death is a part of life. So disappointment or feeling like you're being lied to, when in essence it's not a lie there's there's very few things that are more true than the fact that death eventually comes for us all right so like it, nobody's lying to you at all i mean it's blatant like you know death and taxes you know comments like that mm-hmm. but somebody's going to die you're going to die so when life changes and i think in a lot of cases is there a difference with dealing with men when when a loss happens suddenly as mm-hmm. opposed to a death where you saw it happening and you knew it was happening. Maybe somebody had, a, you know, cancer and eventually they just weakened. So you knew they were going to die as opposed to some just, what's, how do you, is there a way to, different way to handle men dealing with those two situations?
2: Yeah, well, anticipatory, anticipatory grief is when you, you know, this person is going to pass away. They have right. a, a illness that's going to take them. Right. So you can kind of brace yourself a little bit. So the impact, you know, um, isn't so blunt. Now, you know, when, say for instance, um, you are at work, you get a call from the police, you know, and one of your family members just got hit by a car and you had just talked to this individual, you've made Mm -hmm. plans to have dinner tonight or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that initial shock, you know, it wasn't so so supposed to be that way. I was supposed to, we supposed to go to dinner tonight. We supposed to do all of these different things. So when you can, when you know the things that are happening, you can already begin to prepare the next steps. Yes, you're going to grieve. It's not going to be as bad as, as the, um, sudden impact. So on a sudden impact, you're more susceptible to become angry. That's your first reaction. You're more, you know, and that's, that's the mentality of the men, you know, we're more susceptible to, to become angry, but, you, we have to be careful of who we're around because now we're around other family members we push that to the side and we have to become the protectors the comforters in the family because now everyone's looking up to you so you have to add those factors in so depending on the situation you have to you have to adjust your approach
1: all right we'll skip the I in prize is what I typically do. We're going to go to the next letter, which is Z and the word is zeal. Zeal is defined as enthusiastic devotion. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to men about this, this is a different situation, obviously with this conversation, I talk to men about what is it that you have for you that you do when life hits you hard? What is your solace? What do you do? Do you golf? Do you play tennis? Do you play an instrument? Do, what? What is it that you do? So is one of the parts of helping men dealing with this grief kind of allowing them or helping them to find something, not take their mind off of this, but to deal with life by doing something else for the time being. Is there is that part of it at all to say, you know what? I know you like doing this or something. Is giving a man or trying to help a man find joy somewhere else, something that you do, is that part of what you guys do?
2: Um, it's not really finding joy somewhere else, mm-hmm. but it's tying um, what you're going through and sharing that moment with the person that you've left, that, that has left you. So what I what I tell men, because it's all about the memories that you shared, right? So when you're in that moment and things like that, you tend to talk about the things that you've done. So whether it's fishing, living, uh, working out and things like that, I am that grief buddy. So that's why I said, you know, when I go and meet men, hey, what would you like to meet? Would you want to go to your house? You know, I know you're in a moment right now. Would you like to go? Um, is there something that you would like to do? They we either go, you know what, it's a nice night out of the dike. It's quiet. You want to go fishing. Um, you know, right now I'm feeling kind of anxious. Um and things like that. The gym always calmed me down. Would you like to meet me at the gym and have a workout with me? You know, or uh, you know, right now, you know, um I just want to I, I want to draw, I want to paint so we find a place that, where we can go be creative at. So it's taking that negative energy and giving them an outlet to put it out somewhere else in a sense of because working out for me calms me down. It gets me in a state of where I, I can talk. So I would like to meet a man at the gym okay. because, you know, we can connect through the, through the steel, through the working out, you know, mm-hmm. but I also am a creative individual. So I don't mind going and sitting down and doing pottery or painting, painting pictures and things like that, because it's going to take you to a moment to where you were happy. Where everything made sense. Even if it is just for a brief moment, you can forget all of those things.
1: Mm-hmm. And by the
2: time you get done, you've done something. Okay. Instead of being destructive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've gone out and shot guns with people, you know, just because they had the, they needed to go and release. Okay, let's take the guns out, let's go to the race, let's go shoot something. Mm-hmm. You know, and when they're done, it's not as if they're, you know, because I watch them too. You know, it's not as if they're taking me out there to, to kill themselves. Right. It's just the way that they need to express themselves right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you have to be open with that.
1: Okay. Last letter in the word prize is E and the word is expectation. A strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Mm-hmm. So you've spent some time with the man. You've kind of helped him, I guess, helped as much as you can in this journey of grief. Once, and I don't, and I don't know your process, so I don't know if there's ever a time when this process is done. But when I guess your time with him, maybe you don't see him, I guess, chronologically or as consistently as you do. When that time has come, what's your expectation of that man? Where should he be when your time with him? has come to an end
2: my expectations of them to and um when they when they do leave me uh, and things like that to continue their lives you know to continually use those tools when necessary to reach out when they need to um because that door is always open you know so it's not my expectations of them. I want them to have expectations of themselves mm-hmm. and what they're feeling. Right. Um, so I expect them to use those tools. They expect themselves to be better because once you go through that process, you expect yourself to be better. You want it like more than anything. Once you get a taste of it, once you get a taste of what it feels like, um, to, to feel, um, to express yourself, your expectations are higher than yourself than I can ever on
1: What does it mean to feel better in these cases?
2: In a lot of ways, taking a breath, taking a breath of fresh air, no stress, no burdens, because you're releasing that during the process. So that's what it's like is it's like to feel better. Like you don't have to carry everyone else's emotions with you. You can focus on you for a moment. You can be selfish in this, in these, in these things. Why? Because you know that it's going to benefit everyone else around you, but it has to benefit you first. And you have to be the main priority. See, I'm only there to walk with them and, and, and give these tools along the way for that tool belt. And even the ones that they don't use right there, I know that they can use them later on. So,
1: yeah. Okay. Okay. This is a, this is a deep conversation. It really is. Um, I appreciate you answering the questions when it comes to the prize mantra. Um, so what you do is I think the work of chosen people and you are actually, I, I just get to it. You do this, not alone. You do this with other people. Yes. So where can people find you? How many people are in this group, whether it's websites, social media, tell us about the nonprofit and what you do and the people around you. What kind of group is that? Give us a little insight into what that.
2: Okay. Um. So I do have a team. So one of the services that I provide, is that we do want to peer-to-peers with men. And so I have a team that goes out with me at night or they go out by themselves to meet these different men. because uh, most men do talk at night because the families are sleeping. and it's quiet, right? You know, no one has to see what we're going through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and you can you can find us at on the website, which is uh of or And you can go to the website and see the services that we do provide from recovery to mental health, depression, and suicide, um, and several other things as well. And if you need a grief buddy, we do provide those. So it's like having a sponsor, but the guy's there to walk with you in your grief. Um, a lot of other things that we do uh, is my podcast, which is Memories of Us podcast, if you want stories of loss and grief, inspiring stories of loss and grief. We have those stories and those stories are there to help others, um, because we believe those stories can be someone else's survival guide.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then my secondary podcast, which is grief, let's talk about it, which is educational. And it helps to, uh, open up the doors to have these conversations around grief, diving deep into topics and things like that. They can find me on Facebook, in my Facebook group, I have 158 men. And um, so they may not always be in a group, but you know, you can always, if you wanna put something in there and get that support from these other men, you can also do that with a partner. Uh, I work with Grief Tribe men as well. And uh, so that's another organization, strong, strong men organization as well. So we do have these different resources for these men. And um, if you need other resources, um, I am also connected with the global grief network, whereas there's 112 of us grief workers. So we always have something for someone. Our goal is not to turn anyone away. We have, you know, so, you know, cause everybody has different needs. Right. So we're, my goal is to, um, bring these resources. So you don't have to go searching outside, um, of your comfort zone. You can reach out to these individuals and, uh, yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. Last question. Yes. I would imagine not all men feel comfortable enough at the beginning, at the onset of loss, to reach out to talk to somebody. But if you could give some advice to a man who is going through this and right and might be resistant in reaching out to talk to somebody, what's the advice that you would give to a man really at the start? What advice would you give to a man in that situation?
2: Find someone. If you don't want to go to a support group, because sometimes it's not for everyone, and be very resilient, sit down with your best friend. Sit down with you. And the reason why I say that, because your best friend has been around you for a while. They know you better than anyone else. So be around someone that you feel comfortable with. And if you don't want to go and um, um, be around someone that you're comfortable with me, go and sit in one of these groups. You don't have to say anything. That's the whole purpose of it. It's It's not about this, that, and the other. It's about you. It is about you. So you're not alone in this. You're definitely not alone. And what you're feeling is totally normal. But you have to be around people that make it look normal. So and that's that's strong right there. You have to be around people that's that because now your language has changed. So you have to be around people that make it that it is normal. So you can kind of get a feel of what you're getting yourself into. And then over a period of time, we know that you know that that resilience is there. But over a period of time, the 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 beautiful thing that happens when you put men in a room by themselves like that, we talk. We, we, we talk, we, we, because it's like, oh my God, I don't have to feel as if I'm being alienated. So being around people that make you feel comfortable.
1: Great, okay. Thank you so much for that advice. Thank you so much for talking about this. This was, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was like, okay, I'm ready. for How am I gonna handle this conversation? I haven't had a lot of loss in life. And I feel like when we talked before, you mentioned that because that's kind of how you got there you hadn't you didn't have a lot. Well, man, and it's just right. But it's like we said it's it's fact of life. This is something is. that happens and being able to handle life things that happen to us how we handle, and it's just our mental health. It's such a big thing. Now we're finally recognizing how important these things are, how we handle happiness, how we handle conflict, how we handle loss, gain, how we handle everything is so important. So the work that you do, that your team does is so necessary and so important. So thank you for doing it. And it's much appreciated. So thank you for being here And I will leave this with all the men who are listening or watching. I say this all the time, so this always fits. You are important, you are valuable. How you feel about things is warranted. It's okay to be happy or sad, to be hurt, to be whatever, but don't hold it in. Find somebody, each and every one of us is worth hearing is worth listening to, is worth talking to, talking about, being around. You are worth it. You always find somebody to listen to you, or you could be a listener. It's imperative. We help each other when we listen to each other. So I would leave you with that. As men, never forget that you are valuable. Somebody right now is going to be happy because you call them because you walked in, because you said hi, because you texted them. You are an important person in this world, whether it's to me or any family member. Never forget how important you are, which is why when we lose somebody, it hurts so much. But we appreciate them when they're here and then deal with your feelings when they're gone. You are a great person. You're a great man. And never forget, you are a man and you are the prize. I'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Men Are The Prize podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow Harvey on the gram at Men of Zealous Nature or on Twitter at Men Have a great week and never forget, you are a man and you are the prize.